You know why I'm so passionate about music to code by? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1376, with guest Scott Hunter. Recorded Thursday, October 20th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Scott Hunter is here. Probably our most popular show of 2016 was uh, Scott Hunter's show on .NET Core. No kidding. Yep. So, there you go. I wonder what I said on it now. Uh, you said you told us all about the good stuff, man. All about the new stuff. It was the first time a lot of people had heard the in-depth uh, uh, discussion of it. So, thank you for that. Uh, Richard, I've got something old, but something good for Better Know Framework today. So roll the music. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, I've talked about this before, as I said, but it's just so good. I think I need to revisit. It's Source Tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Source Tree is a free visual Git and Mercurial client for Mac and Windows, and it, it's it's a great UI, and it's also got a lot of great power features too. So and it and it just works, and it works great. So I I bring it up because every once in a while I get a tweet or I get a private message or a Facebook message of somebody who wants to know you know what I'm using for a Git client and and uh, I've used a few of them and I like this best Source Tree and Joel Hewlin told me about this the first time. And so do you, are you using it on the Mac, like in the Mac world? No, no, no. It's it, it, There's a Mac version. There's a Windows version. Right. I use it on Windows, of course, because that's what I develop on. And you're using it primarily because Git you can also use for all kinds of do documents and stuff. Like What I like about the look of this thing is that you can, you're treating your stuff much more like just file handling, too. So you yeah. could use it, make it easier to do Git responsible behavior around documentation and things. Yeah, it's neat. Um, I kind of would like to, in my spare time, set up a, a Git repo in the cloud, just, to, you know, my own. Yeah. And, and just try it with a, with a client like this with source tree. Sure. And I'm still uh, giggling over the idea of you having spare time, but yeah. 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 I know. <laughs> but I've long wanted to do a Git repo for media files because Git obviously works with any kind of document, not just code. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So that's what I got. It's at sourcetreeapp.com or of course, this is show 1376. So you can go to 1376.pwop.me. Who's talking to us, brother? Grabbed a comment off of show 1291, the one we did with one Scott Hunter. We talked about 
Core. That's back in May of 2016. And apparently, so far, the most popular show of 2016, yep. perhaps this one will exceed it. Mm. And got a bunch of comments on the show, but this particular one is from Rick Arthur, who said, I enjoyed the conversation early on about how the goo made the Azure stakeholders act like real people and attempt to sign up to Azure. I think they seriously need another round of this with the whole billing site. Have you been out there? It's <laughs> horribly slow. Yeah. For their own sake, I hope they are running these services on AWS because the speed of these things is definitely giving them a black eye. Hmm. I have a few AWS services and they email me an invoice each month so you can keep track of your expenses. Saving the invoice for my records. One, two, three, I'm done. It's not so easy with Azure. They send me an email, but it says you have to log in to get the invoice, even though it won't be available for a couple more weeks. So then you click on the link, you wait 30 seconds to log in, then you click on the subscription, you wait 30 seconds to get into that, then you click on the billing period, you wait 30 seconds to that. It's downright painful. But wait, we and just wasted 30 seconds reading this message. <laughs> I, I want my money back. Nice. <laughs> and, and of course, Rick goes on to say, I have multiple subscriptions, so I spend a long time yeah. doing this. And he, and he makes the valid point, and I think it's the same thing that the goo did back then. Likely, Microsoft people don't ever go into the billing side because they don't need to, right? Yeah, it's yeah. all part of their system. So, it'd be useful for them to actually take this out for a spin, do a little dog fooding. And he ends with, I admit, I'm a little irritated about this. Well, if you, you know, Azure is so nickeled and dimed in terms of services and micropayments and all that kind of stuff, it really is kind of hard to wrap your head around your bill and where, where things are going. But fortunately, numbers are numbers and the big ones stick out. Yeah, I just think... Why not just email the invoice, right? Like, why is all these extra steps taking place? So, yeah, it's an interesting conversation. Anyway, Rick, I will pass your comments along. And yeah. uh, also, a .NET Rocks mug, because a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We continuously integrate with them. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's bring on Scott Hunter. He is, of course, the director of program management on the .NET team at Microsoft. His team builds .NET Framework, .NET Core, ASP.NET, Entity Framework, the managed languages, web, and .NET tooling. Just a few little properties, nothing major. Just a little couple, things. A couple of little things. Little things. Welcome, Scott. How you guys doing? We're doing great. Yeah, we don't have to run the whole world like some people we know. All right. How does it feel to have the number one show on .NET Rocks of 2016? That is awesome. Now that, now that I think about it, I think, I think we talked a lot of history about how .NET Core came to be on that show. And so that was probably the cool stuff. Yeah, it was. And uh, we have some more cool stuff to talk to you about today. Well, you're going to talk to us about it anyway. Web Dev Tools. What's, what's new in your world? Yeah, so we're... Um, this show should be after the Connect conference that we had in November. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and <clears throat> at that conference, we showed a whole bunch of new stuff. And I've got uh, a couple areas I, I want to focus on today. I want to talk about .NET Core 1.1. I want to talk about Docker a little bit, uh, maybe .NET Standard a little bit, mm -hmm. and uh, CS Proj tooling. So probably four major topics we could kind of roll through today. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, let's start with .NET Core 1.1. What's new? <laughs> yeah, so we, we shipped .NET Core in June. And one of the goals of .NET Core is to basically let us rev the platform at a faster rate than we can rev .NET Framework itself. Um, .NET Framework obviously is a part of Windows, and we can rev that basically when Windows ships, so maybe one, maybe two times a year. 
with the .NET Core stack, um, our goal is basically going to be to be able to rev um, every about six months. We're going to do a point release. And so it's been about six months since we've shipped um, 1.0. So we're doing our first point release. And then every two months, we'll do a, a, a bug release. Um, and that means every two months, you get a bug release. And then every six months, you get um, a pile of new features. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's quicker pace, but not to, the goal is not to be too fast that we wear, wear, wear the customers out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> this one is not going to be as full featured as uh, 1.2, which will be the one six months from, from now. Uh, because we're still working on some of our tooling, uh, moving from project JSON to CS project, which we can talk about, uh, on the, on the, on the call today as well. Um, but let's talk about 1.1 real quick. Cause it's, I'll just go through a couple of items. Um, ASP.net, um, we, uh, have a URL rewriting module. So, you know, because you're running in on our Kestrel web server outside of IS in some cases, uh, you can't, you can't run the, the same features that you have in IS, like, you know, it's got a URL rewriting module and built into it. And so we're going to, re- you know, find ways to take all of those modules that are in IIS and make versions of them run- that run in the middleware inside of ASP.NET Core. And so you'll get the ability to do uh, URL rewriting. Um, we're adding view compilation. So if you want your app to start faster, you can now pre-compile the, the views in your application. And we won't have to actually invoke the compiler as your app boots up. And so you'll get a faster boot up time. Nice. Uh, this is one of my favorite ones is <clears throat> app service in Azure is a great way to host websites and it's got its own mechanism for configuring where your logs go. They can go to uh, a file on disk. They can go into uh, other forms of storage. Um, and today what you typically do is have to go configure your application to talk to the right, the right places. Uh, we've got a app service log provider that we're they're putting in 1.1 um, and once you enable that, because you know you're going to host your app in app service, um, ASP.NET actually is aware of what configuration settings you have in app service. And we, we send our logs to the right place uh, based on what you have configured in the portal for your, for your app service. So even as your app's running, you can just, you know, change things and, and, and we'll, we'll uh, hook up to that. Nice. Um, and, and the final one for ASP.NET is we're doing response caching. Um, and this is basically the, the ability to put, you know, the, the right headers on your, on your pages, telling the remote browser or proxy server to basically, you know, cache the, the, uh, the page locally on your machine. Mm-hmm. So giving you more control over those things. So this is just, you know, you, this is kind of, uh, you're going to see over one, one and one, two, us basically starting to bring back some of the gaps that we have, uh, you yeah. know, mo- moving forward beyond one, one, I think you're going to see things like the signal R come back. You're going to see things like web pages come back. Um, that's, that's what I expect to see in the next the next wave. Some of these EF ones that we have coming are, are, are super cool. Um, and it's going to start a wave of stuff that we're doing. Enter framework, you mean? Yeah, Entity Framework Core. Mm-hmm. Nice. Which is our new our new EF core that runs everywhere. One of the cool things we've done with it is, is first off, it, we, we added the same feature we had in EF6, which allows you to, to uh, do connection retries, which yeah. means if your connection to your database is, you know, not so great, um, we'll basically do all the logic for you to retry your, your query and stuff without you having to write any code. Um, this is great for cloud-based d- databases where network connectivity can, can come to play. Love it. Uh, this next one is my, is I, I think the most exciting one though is, uh, at the connect event, we announced that SQL Server 2016, um, all of the features that used to be in the enterprise SKU of SQL Server, um, are moving down and, and they'll be available in, in all of the editions of SQL Server. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
a couple of these that are really cool that we're looking at is things like, hey, I want to run my tables in memory because I know that this table is a hot table and I want the best product, you know, speed on my application. So I like this. T- I like SQL Server to keep this table in memory. That's that's one of the features. And, and SQL Server does that by its own decision making, right? It will cache a table into memory, but you can now actually, you know, I deliberately say, I want that one in memory. Keep it there. I, exactly. I want this one in memory and keep it there. And, um, you know, obviously you're going to go through memory at the SQL server. So you have, you're, you're, you're prepared for that. Right. Well, I, I also remember from the Ignite conference, you can now put 24 terabytes in a SQL server database. Memory, <laughs> memory. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of memory. That, that's bigger than any database that I have. So I could just run the whole database in memory. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> So the cool thing is, is today, if you want to actually use this, this in-memory feature, it's been around for a while, but if you want to use this feature, um, you have to go and first configure your table to be an in-memory table, and then you write queries to it slightly differently. Right. The, the nice thing about adding this to EF Core is in EF Core, all you've got to do is go put an attribute on the table, run a migration um, on your database, and that, that basically tells us to you know, generate the SQL script required to modify the, the table to be ready for, for in-memory support. Right. Um, and then just your app just runs. We don't have to, you don't have to change any code at all uh, because, you know, EF Core is writing the queries for you under the covers. Uh, the fact that those queries changed a little bit because this is now an in-memory table um, is oblivious. You don't have to worry about it. You just, it, it is, it is crazy. You just add one attribute, run a migration, rerun your application, and, you know, you got crazy performance. Wow. Yeah. So it would be super easy to test. Like, will moving this table in memory make a huge difference to the behavior of this app? Like... It's no longer a huge coding commitment to a performance tweak. It, it is literally to set an attribute. Right. Um, and, and you're going to see us continue to try to invest in this in other areas. There's, there's other, other cool uh, features there in, in SQL 2016 um, that I think are pretty cool as well. One was uh, there's the ability to have a column in memory as well. So you could say, hey, this is a hot column in my database. Um, we don't have this yet in EF Core. These are things that I want to work on as we move forward in the future. Uh, but what if I could go put an attribute on the column and say, keep the column in memory? Um, the next one is is one I'm sure that both you and Carl have done before, which is how many people have actually said, hey, I've got this table and it's really critical that me, for me to know what, what happens in this table. So I'm going to create stored procedures around this table. And every time a change is made, I'm going to update the table. But in an audit log, I'm going to actually write, hey, Scott Hunter added a row or deleted a row or changed right. a value. Yeah. Um, this is actually a, a built-in feature in SQL 2016 where you can go tell the, tell the server, I want to have a audit table for this particular table. Instead of writing the store procedures and all this for you, the database just does it on the fly. Wow, great. Uh, yeah, and this, this is one of the ones that we want to go enable in, e, in EF Core as well, where you could basically, once again, you'd go put an attribute on the table, and then we'll go and, and tell SQL to go put the table into that state, and maybe we'll give you an extra accessor on, the, on, the, on your model that lets you actually query both the, the normal table and the history table. Um, so we're looking at, at all kinds of ways that we can go take some of these features that are, that are harder to use um, and make them just, you know, one, one attribute, bam, and you're, go- and you're going. Fantastic. I love that. Let's talk about Docker. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Docker. 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 Um. Have you guys talked about Docker on the show before? Never. <laughs> no, we have. Yeah, we we've we started, of course, talking to people doing Docker and Linux in the Linux world, and then uh, followed the whole Azure containers thing and Windows containers. So yeah, we're we're 
anxious to hear about what's new. Yeah, so you know, we we uh, showed a few weeks ago at, at uh, the Ignite conference. We showed Docker containers for Windows for the first time. I mean, our it's now an, it's now it's it's now a shipping shipping product. We were showing that as a as a shipping thing that you can actually run, you know, Docker for Windows. And that, this is great for many .NET developers out there. If you want to go join the Docker wave yeah. with Windows Server 2016 and Windows 10 as your development box, you can actually develop containers on your local machine with Docker for Windows. Um, and then publish them to your Docker, uh, you know, uh, to your Windows Server 2016. Mm. So that was kind of the the push that we had at the Ignite conference. We've been showing Docker for for ASP.NET Core uh, on Linux for a while, but at at Connect, I think we kind of took this thing to the next level. And uh, you know, one of the things that I when I think of .NET or I think of Visual Studio, our goal is to is to make people more productive. Um, you know, how can we make you more productive as a programmer, more productive, uh, you know, deving your, your stuff. And so we've got a bunch of cool things that we're, we're kind of announcing. One is, um, we're going to do app service for Linux. So if, 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 if you, you know, today if you're okay. using app service in Azure, um, it's great. You can run your .NET applications, your node applications, your Java applications, your PHP applications in app service in Azure, but that's running on a windows host. And that's, that you know, typically the host doesn't really even matter, but in some of these technologies, um, like maybe the Node, especially where they've got a, a whole bunch of NPM modules that that exist up in in the registry up there, uh, some of those don't work on Windows, and you might you might find that when you move your application to App Service, that it, it has some compatibility problems, and so having App Service support on Linux um, solves a lot of that, uh, meaning that you can now run the choose to run your application on Windows or Linux, whatever whatever you developed it on. Okay. Now, where this where this gets cool in the .NET world is the way that App Service uh, Linux support is implemented is via a container. And and uh, what's neat about this container mechanism is you can actually use the built-in containers that are built into App Service, or you can bring your own container. Um, so this is the first time that you get the benefits of our Passy platform, but you can actually bring your own container, which means you can change the underlying platform however you want and run things however you want. Um, so where this gets cool from the .NET perspective is you're going to have the ability to build a .NET application um, in Visual Studio and right-click on that application, turn it into a container application, and just publish it directly to App Service. Um, where this is different than some of the other other uh, uh, container offerings we have in Azure is because it's App Service, App Service has a one of, one of the coolest features of app service is the fact that creating one only takes, you know, 15 or 20 seconds. Uh, you don't have to wait for a cluster of, of something to boot up in Azure or something like that. So if you just want to go try some container stuff, you just go to app service, click a button, it, it, it generates you an app service and you're publishing a container in just a few minutes. Yeah. But it gets better. So okay. you do this rather than use Azure container service? Yes. So this consider this like, you know, today you might use app service over using a, a VM. And you might do that because, you know, the VM, you can, you get more control, but if you're in app service, you know, it'll do backups for you. It gives you de deployment slots for production and staging. Yeah. You don't have to own the OS. Yeah. You don't have to own the OS. It, 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 it hides a bunch of, of stuff for you. And, but both are great solutions. I mean, both there's, there's reasons to have VMs and there's reason to have app service. Sure. I think app service for containers um, is the same kind of thing. In, in Azure, we have two offerings. We have app service containers and we have um, Azure container services. Right. App service is more of a single container mechanism, meaning that um, I'm going to build a single container. 
it's very easily in the, in the in the Docker world for me to write a container that says, hey, I've got a container with my application in it. It depends on another container, which depends on another container, mm-hmm. which depends on another container. App service uh, containers can't deal with that situation. You'd have to manually create each of those containers by hand and publish them up to app service individually. While you could take that same Docker file that has all those dependencies and go hand it off to ACS and it, it'll go boot up, you know, five, six, whatever, how many containers you have and do all that for you. And so um, this is the simple man's uh, container service is the way I would like to say it. Um, but it's still, I think, a very compelling offer because um, I can take my application and I can go take my base OS image and modify it however I want. So this is like app service where, hey, I can go touch the underlying OS and change the way things are. I can go install something else on top of the OS, mm. which you can't do today in, in app service because it's a, a a service that doesn't give you that, that much control. So this is like giving you full control um, and and it's still app service with that quick creation, quick publish. Right. Um, and as part of this as well, we're, we're also announcing the um, our Azure Docker registry. Ooh. Um, yeah. So... You know, today you might use Docker Hub as a, as a sure. public registry for s- storing your containers. Um, and then people on your team can pull those containers and, and use them. We now have a container registry as a service in Azure. So you can just go to the portal, create a container registry that's private to your organization. And uh, your developers can basically publish your containers from your uh, Visual Studio or VS Code or whatever whatever you're using to build containers with to that registry for use by your your environments. And this is actually how the app service container support actually works is you'll actually go and from Visual Studio, I have a new feature uh, where you can take your .NET Core application, you can right click on it and turn it into a uh, containerized application. And then you can right click and publish directly to the Docker registry, the Azure Docker registry. And then what app service will do is app service will look at that and say, hey, I see, uh, you know, you, you'll tell your app service which registry entry to pull, and it will pull that image. Nice. So that's a pr- pretty cool step where Very you just cool. basically build, publish to the registry, and you can pull those both from um, app service, or you could pull that from ACS as well. So it's your, your, your containers could go both ways. It's really interesting. It's great. Great features. So uh, understanding what you've just described on app service makes me think that Azure Container Service is really aimed at the existing container user who's using Docker Swarm and is sort of familiar with the process. But if I was building something new into containers, I really got to consider app service. That's exactly how I would propose it. Or if you just want to try containers for the first time, if it, this will be the simplest uh, get off the ground ABC and you're running running containers. So right. uh, it, it's a... It's a nice, nice intro to containers. Um, and if you're running smaller applications, it's probably a great place to run them. And as you decide to start building, you know, more complicated multi-container applications, um, we'll give you an easy way to migrate from App Service to, to ACS if you want to. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So one more cool area in this container space, um, you know, as I said before, I want to make you productive in Visual Studio and with .NET. And, uh, you know, we already talked about having the ability to publish directly from Visual Studio to a, to a container registry and then have App Service pull that. Um, I want to take that to the next level as well. And we are showing for the first time a new tooling workflow where you can basically go in into Visual Studio and or you'll be able to do this from command line as well. And from then, you can you can go and, and decide you want to set up a CI/CD pipeline for containers. Um, and so what you'll do is you'll basically configure it with your source source code repo somewhere, 
tell us where your source code's at. Um, you'll tell us what registry you want to, uh, to the outcome to go to. Um, and what will happen then is as it, the, it's like one click button, we set up all the VST, VSTS stuff to wire up a full CI CD pipeline for containers. And what this will enable you to do is while you're actually working on your application, when you commit that source code, that will cause this mechanism to kick off. It will actually build your container um, in the cloud, and then it will run the test on your container in the cloud. And if, you're, if your container passes the test, it will then automatically upload the container into the registry of your choice. Love it. Um, and, and the cool thing about this is you can, you can do this today, but I don't know how many, you know, I, I think we started saying it would be like a, a multi-page white paper of here's the list of steps to go configure this thing. Right. And we're going to have this, this be one click and you're done. Built into VSTS. Built, built into VSTS, exactly. And built into VS. You just go and say, here's my source. Here's my registry. Click. We build all the infrastructure for you. And as you commit code, containers pop out the other end. So then at that point, QA can jump in, grab that container, make it part of a test suite for regression testing or a load test, whatever they need to do before they get to production. Exactly. A whole bunch of cool stuff we're just trying to do. And, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. The, the goal really is um, I want to take any .NET developer and make, make building and using and debugging uh, containers as easy as possible. And then with Azure, I want to make, you know, hosting your container either as a single container and app service or a multi-container solution, you know, that you would run in ACS, you know, super simple to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's really our goal is to take these modern developer paradigms like containers and just make the platform and uh, the cloud super easy to do. And of course, that comes down to Visual Studio users being able to just push a button and boom, everything just happens. Yes. Yeah. It's all just part of it. I love it. <laughs> hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yes. Time to pose a little hypothetical. Hmm? If you're developing a .NET Core app on a Mac, would that be considered Apple Core? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Make the bad man stop. <laughs> oh, come on. Scott, there's got to be jokes about Apple Core running around Microsoft somewhere. No? All right. <laughs> It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Eric Zachman. Oh, congratulations, Eric. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Eric Zachman. And uh, Eric just won the D-Experience subscription from Developer Express, a big pile of awesome from our friends over there. And if you don't know what we just did, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. 
And it's your turn, Scott Hunter. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today and you wanted to buy something other than Azure credits, (laughs) 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 which, by the way, is a perfectly legitimate use of $5,000, what would you buy? I'm into fitness trackers and all kinds of health monitoring stuff. So I would like to, I, I would get something that would actually help me. Uh, measure how well I sleep at night. Yeah, and something that works. Cause and something that works. I, the one, the ones that go under the bed is, are kind of the ones that I would be interested in, I think, that actually can do heartbeat yeah. and determine uh, if you're in the bed and stuff like that. Right. I mean, basically, these Fitbits and Microsoft Bands, may they rest in peace, uh, or may Band <laughs> rest in peace, anyway. Uh, the Fitbit, it, it, basically, it gives you a lot of false positives. And I noticed that with the sleeping tracker, if you're a person who's sound asleep but tends to move, you know, which happens, your Fitbit will tell you you didn't get any sleep when you actually did. Yeah, as I said, but these ones that you can actually put under your mattress, you actually put them under the mattress, and then you don't have this particular problem because it's basically um, just listening to you um, on the bed and, yeah. and pressure pressure sensing you on the bed, and so you can't move it or any of those things. It's gonna it's gonna stay in place. I like I think that. Withering's, I, th- I think Withering's make those makes makes that product. Why things? Yeah, uh, Why there things, was a yes. company called used to be called Luna, but now it's called Eight Sleep. That was a Kickstarter. That was all about adding this pad to your bed and smart enough to tell when there's two people on the bed and and uh, down right down to measuring heart rates and and how well you're sleeping that whole that whole process. But I'm I'm a nerd with this health health stuff. I love I love seeing you know my steps, my heart rate, cool. and, and all this stuff. That's uh, that's my current nerdism. Very good. All about the instrumentation. Yeah. Well, actually, what I would I would really want, but I can't get for five k, is I want uh, the Tesla Autopilot too. <laughs> you already have a Tesla, don't you? I, I do, but they just announced Autopilot 2 yesterday. Yeah. And that's the automatic driving module or something? Well, yeah, that that's uh, the, the current cars have, um, I think, five or six ultrasound sensors, a camera, and a radar. And the new ones have uh, eight cameras all the way around the car, 12 ultrasounds all the way around the car, um, a new radar, and then 40 times the CPU of the current cars. Um, which is supposed to let you, you know, the car can basically fully self-drive w- with you in the car or out of the car. Do they have LiDAR, Scott? I am not sure. I don't I don't think they went down the LiDAR path. I know no, they investigated Google. it, but I'm... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair but enough. But yeah, I mean, Musk was quoted as saying this is going to be a level five, and that's supposed to be fully autonomous. It just, I don't know, it seems unlikely. <laughs> he, he, he said, he, yeah, he did say it was fully level five, but, you know, the, the, the real caveat there is... Um, all the regulatory stuff required. And he basically there's on their website, there's a huge pile of like, Hey, even though you have the hardware and the, and the software to do this, um, it might not be available in your area until the regulators in your area, uh, have approved that, you know, we can have fully self-driving cars on the road. What right. I want to know though, Richard is what's the cost per kilogram to get that thing into orbit? <laughs> <laughs> I think we did that show. I think so too. <laughs> Have you been following any of the the space things that go on with SpaceX, Scott? Are you a huge oh, Musk fan? Yeah, uh, of course. I'm a wouldn't call me a Musk fan. I'm a I'm a space fan. I yeah. you know Richard and I talked about this stuff before. I, all the way from the moon, you know, to shuttle to what we're doing now, and mm. and uh, you know, I, it there's not more of an exciting time for me to see space because all these private companies have re-kicked all the investments in space. It's it's cool to see. You know, uh, Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos doing his yeah. thing, uh, you know, Musk with the uh, SpaceX stuff and the Mars stuff that he's talking about. 
you know, China's talking about going to the back backside of the moon. So mm-hmm. it just seems like there's a a renewed interest in space, you know, all around that, uh, you know, after like, it feels like 20 years of not a lot going on. Yeah. Now it's, it's almost like there's a space race again. It's pretty awesome. There was, I have the, the papers, the proceedings of two different sets of meetings, one in North America, one in Europe, both talking about uh, bases on the moon for permanent habitation, much like Antarctica, um, which is, you know, just, they're serious. They're really looking through what it's going to take to do that. Uh, well, I'll ask the question to, to, to both you guys. Would you guys go to Mars? In a second. No, not me. I'd go in a second, too. I already told my wife. I said, I said, we'll both go. Yep. I like it just fine where I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, not permanently, just to, just, to, just to go hang out for a month and come back. I'll tell you what, though. Well, first of all, good luck with that. Second of all, if you go, uh, I'll send you a text. That'd be fun. <laughs> That'd be enough. Send me a picture. And you're pretty much committed to going, you know, to spending 90 days getting there, spending a year there, and, and 90 days getting back. So, yeah. yeah. You're going to be gone for a while. Yeah. And by the way, you have to eat something. Yeah, don't get technical. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It is pretty cool. Yeah. Details. Uh, let's get beyond containers. What What's next? Yeah. So, I, I think the next thing... Um, that we want to talk about, and and we, I've talked about this on and off, uh, starting earlier this year, um, but it's getting more real, and we've had a blog post about it, um, and this is .NET Standard, mm-hmm. and and so, you know, we took a look at the .NET platform uh, early in the year, and we were looking at it, and you know, it, you know, you guys have been around and done this show for a long time, so you're aware of all the .NETs we've had. We've got yes. you know, .NET Framework, .NET Compact, Silverlight. Uh, wind, dot, you know, w- Windows Phone Silverlight, Windows Phone 8, UWP, .NET Core, Mono slash Xamarin. There's, you know, a lot of .NETs out there. And, um, as a developer, the, the real challenge, if you want to, if you want to be like a, a JSON.NET of the world and write code that runs on all those platforms, it's, it's really a challenge today because the APIs are, are not common across all those platforms. They're, no. they're, they're kind of fragmented as, as time went along. Well, this was supposed uh, to be what the portable class libraries were going to deal right. with. Right. PCL was a good yeah. stopgap measure anyway. Yeah. I mean, P- PCLs in, in some ways, you know, solved the problem. Um, but the way they solved the problem was as you checked more frameworks, you, you create a portable class library, and then you would go and decide which frameworks you actually want, to, want your code to run on. The more frameworks you click, this, you're basically seeing the smallest intersection of each of those frameworks. And so if you click every single framework, you end up with not being able to use a lot of .NET. Right. Um, and, and so we, we kind of rethought this, and we want to come at, come at it from a slightly different angle, which is let's take all of the .NET that's not an app model. And app models are things like WinForms and WPF and WCF and ASP.NET. And uh, you know, those are, or, or Xamarin, those, those are app models. What if we just took all the .NET that was not an app model and and said that's consistent across every .NET, and and that's what .NET standard is is really all about is saying that we have this huge library um, of all the APIs that are not app models, app model specific, and and they are what we call .NET standard. And so in the future, you would build a library that targets .NET standard, which means you could build a single JSON.NET DLL, and it would run on uh, the full desktop framework, it would run on .NET Core, and it would run on Xamarin. Um, and that is the, the promise of, of .NET standard. 
Um, and I think that's a, a, a pretty awesome, st- you know, thing in my opinion. I think it, moving forward, it's not about when is .NET 4.7 coming or .NET Core 1.1 or 1.2 coming or Mono, you know, next version coming. It's like, hey, there's this .NET standard. And that's where we actually innovate in the platform where um, I, I hope a couple of years from now, people care more about what version of .NET standard they're using than what version of .NET framework they're using. Um, and that becomes a new kind of paradigm. Uh, the real goal of, goal of this is we want to make, uh, as, as a .NET developer, I want to make you super successful and be able to share code across any of the .NETs that are there. So if you've got some code in a Xamarin app and you want to go paste it into your .NET Core app, great. If you want to take some of your .NET Core code and run it in a full framework app like a WinForm app, great. You should be able to do that. And that's hmm. that's kind of the, the goal around .NET standard. Um, if you're a .NET Core person, .NET standard is going to be really important interesting for you because, mm-hmm. you know, as we started building .NET, .NET Core, it's a, you know, smaller, lighter weight version of .NET at this point. Um, it's kind of a subset of .NET. Um, and so a lot of customers, as they start trying to, you know, run their, you know, port some of their code over there, or run some of their code there, they might find some stuff missing. Um, and we're going to ship .NET Standard 2.0 next year. We're actually shipping a version of .NET Standard today um, with .NET Core. It's like 1.6. Um, but that version of .NET Standard is very limiting, kind of like the PCLs today. It doesn't have a lot of APIs in it. Um, but early next year, we plan to ship .NET Standard 2.0, and it's going to bring a lot of stuff back. Uh, for example, it's going to bring XML back. So you're going to have all of Xlink, XML documents, XPath, schema. Uh, it's going to bring back serial, all serialization back, binary formatters, data contracts, XML, networking, sockets, HTTP, mail, WebSockets. IO, files compression. Isn't that uh, a Justin threading. Timberlake song? I'm bringing XML back. Yeah. Yeah. No? That's scary, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Timberlake just rolled over in his grave. Yes, he's, yeah. he's not dead. <laughs> I know he's not. Um, he might be now. But, but, but yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. You, you just killed him. Uh, <laughs> But but the cool thing is, as, as a .NET Core developer, you're going to get a pile of APIs. Thousands and thousands of APIs are going to come back um, as .NET Core starts supporting .NET Standard 2. Um, and it's going to make, you know, the ability to, to share code across all these platforms uh, easier. And it, it also is going to undo a couple of things as well, is, is, you know, as we built some of the platforms, there was points in times when the platform owner said, oh, we want to remove these APIs, kind of like the .NET Core we, we did as part of .NET Core. Um and they, they removed APIs that made no sense. I mean, so for example, if you're in a UWP application, you can't write to the file system, um, which you actually can. You just, they, they took the APIs away. Um, and uh, putting all those, you know, right to the console, for example. Um, and so having this big pile of consistent APIs across all the .NET stacks, I think, uh, uh, is going to be part of our, our, plat- our, our plan of what we've been calling unification of .NET you know, making .NET whole and, and very easy. So the three big pillars of .NET, which will be, you know, .NET Core, .NET Framework, and, and Xamarin, will have massive uh, compatibility across them. And uh, I'm super looking forward to that. And that's, that's the promise between .NET Standard 2, and you'll start seeing that come out uh, early next year. And James Montemagno said that there's even going to be a Xamarin Forms for the Mac, Mac OS. Yeah, that's, that is exciting, too. Yes. Because I always wanted to write apps that you couldn't do anything with. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, I, 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 that's one of the most common asks that we have, yeah. honestly, in the .NET space is, is are we going to do a UI platform that runs across all the devices? Yeah. Um, you know, having having a, 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 a UI paradigm on, you know, UWP that works on Xamarin, that works on full framework. Um, I don't know if we're going to do that. I mean, you know, what I, what I tell people when they ask me that question today is, let me finish shipping .NET Core. Yeah. And once I've done that, I can, I can, I can take a, a look more forward. Um, but uh, I thought you did that back in July. Uh, not really. We actually, that was June. Late June, we shipped .NET Core 1.0. Right. Um, but, the, but the tooling was still in preview. Yeah. And, and, and the tooling was still in preview because we knew there was this, this shift that was going to happen. And, and we just recently talked about the shift that's going to happen. And I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk more about that as well, which is when we first started building .NET Core, it, it was you know, primarily focused around ASP.NET 5 at the time, is what we called it. Um, and it was, it was really meant as, it was, it was almost kind of designed as a specific one-off for making ASP.NET 5 run everywhere, cross-platform, super fast. Um, and then, you know, of course, as all things happen, as you, as you get further down a project, you're like, hey, these are all good ideas and, you know, we should do them everywhere. And, and, and we broaden the platform out. Um, and Xamarin guys came on board. Um, and so that, that's kind of how .NET Standard was born. Uh, that gives us Lots of APIs across all the platforms. Um, the next big thing that kind of comes into play is that that early .NET Core stuff. In, in fact, the stuff that we shipped in June was all based on a on a brand new build system uh, that was built on a, a something called Project.json. And that that build system was all built out of hey, we want to build these cross platform ASP.NET applications, and we want to be able to build them on on a Mac with uh, Sublime or Atom or TextMate or what you know whatever whatever editor of choice you had, and so we don't want you to be you know jumping around inside of project files, and so it's this new you know JSON based project file uh, that we kind of came up with. Now the the funny thing about it is, to me the only elegant part of Project JSON was the the part where you actually listed the packages that you depend on. The rest right. of it was kind of, was kind of crusty in my opinion, and uh, you know I think I think the ASP.NET team would, would 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 agree with that as well. But as we start trying to unify these these .NET platforms, just like we talked about with the standard, um, we have to go solve this project system problem. You know, you're you're left in a, in a situation where you have two choices. One is you make everything in .NET be project JSON based, um, or we take the thing that's project JSON based and move it back to CS Proj and slash MS Build. Um, and so we um, we are we are doing that work. Um, that's when we'll actually call I'll, I'll call the platform complete. Is when that work from moving moving .NET Core from Project JSON back to CS Proj slash MS Build uh, is complete, and uh, um, we showing the first preview of that you know at the Connect event uh, just just recently. But I also want to let people know that as we make this work, there's a couple of reasons we want to make this work. As I was saying, we want to unify so there's the same build system for everything. Right. Uh, putting putting Project JSON into Xamarin apps, Unity apps, uh, full framework apps. Um, and UWP apps uh, ends up being um, a lot of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and 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 uh, you know I'm not sh- that that's a that's a huge undertaking, and it would cause you know major changes across the ecosystem. So it it, it felt like it to us the the best thing was to take the one thing that used the new system .NET Core and move it back or move it to um, MS Build. Um, was was probably the smallest, simplest way to do that. I will already tell you that even doing that um, 
has been longer than we thought it would take. Um, but I also want to send a message out and say, um, as part of this process, we are taking the best things of Project JSON um, and moving them in back into the to to MS Build as well. So, you know, I, I, if you're you, know, you're, you we're all familiar with CS Proj, and and I know what used to drive me nuts was when you know we're building an app, and I, as each time I add files to my project and I commit my code, I've got to merge the CS Proj file because all my files are listed in that file. Um, and they're not listed in the right order. They're just kind of randomly all over the place. So as, as part of this, um, we are building, uh, support for wildcards into CS Proj. This, this wow. will allow a, a, def- a default, you know, ASP.NET Core or .NET Core application or even a non-core application, uh, in the future to be able to actually use wildcards. And so, and, and a typical CS Proj will just be start.cs. And, you know, you get all your CS files automatically and it's, and it just works. So that was a project JSON feature that we're moving back into, uh, the CS Proj, CS Proj world. Um, we also want to do things that one of the other were, one of the areas where the current tooling, uh, with the 1.0.NET Core really falls apart is, um, you know, you're building your .NET Core application, but you want to reference something that already exists. I'm, I have a, a class library project, uh, that's, already exists today, and I want to do a project-to-project reference. Um, there's lots of limitations today in the, in the project JSON world when you start trying to mix project JSON projects with CS Proj projects. Um, and so one of, the, one of the biggest kind of things that you get out of this, this new model is um, you can easily reference, because everything's CS Proj, they can all reference each other. But we kind of had another uh, brainstorm as part of this as well, which was, it's, uh, I think David Fowler coined this, and this is the no good um, model. Hmm. And so when you start, yep. when you start doing project references, project references are not GUID pointing to GUID or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's in my, in my file, I just can, can go point, uh, to another project, um, which makes this, you know, simpler. Sure does. Um, and, and so the idea is that, uh, as we, as we move backwards into the CS project world, we're doing the best we can do to clean up CS project, uh, along the way. And, and take the best ideas that Project JSON made it, made referencing other Project JSON projects very simple. So we're bringing that into, to Project JSON. Uh, I, I mean, into CS Proj. CS, you know, the, the Project JSON made just globbing and grabbing all the files in your project very simple. We're bringing that back into CS Proj. Um, and, you know, you'll continue to see us do that. So what you, what you'll get in the, in the preview bits that we just shipped earlier in the month. Um, if you, if you're on Dev, uh, Visual Studio 15 preview, if you open your existing uh, .NET Core application, it'll basically convert it to a CS Proj, auto convert, and it should just compile and run, and and you're good to go. Um, and we'll do other things. You know, if you if we for people that don't want to get into the CS Proj and even even look at it, uh, we'll give you command line tools that actually let you add references, remove references, list references. Um, so the idea is we keep the thing in a any pretty good state. So once that work is done, that's when I will call .NET Core. A true one zero. So right now the the frameworks and runtimes are one hundred percent you know baked and done um, and ready to go. But the tooling still has to go through this hop, and this will be done by early next year. Um, and the the world is good. I, I had one more thing that I I wanted to, to chat about okay. uh, before we we stop. Um, I know on the on the on the show once or twice we've talked about ASP.NET Core performance, and I am super happy to announce that uh, we've been talking about this Tech Empower benchmark. It's a, it's a public benchmark you can go to. 
Um, ASP.NET Core is now live in that benchmark. Um, and we... Woo! <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah. And we cracked the top 10. Wow. Um, and that, that puts us firmly ahead of, of uh, Node, Go, uh, Servlet, um, and so I'm, I'm happy to, to, to go look at some of the major comp- competition and say that we're, um, you know, firmly ahead of those guys in a public benchmark that we didn't run on our, our hardware that's run by an independent group. That is so awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And this was something we talked about in the, in the last show yeah. earlier this year where you said, we're going after this benchmark. We're serious about it. So you pulled it off. Yeah, uh, pulled it off, but you know we're, we're not done with it either. So I mean, there's there's they have multiple benchmarks. They have a plain text benchmark. They've got a JSON benchmark. Uh, they've got some other benchmarks called uh, single query, multiple query, and for and fortunes. Fortunes is probably the most uh, like a real application because that's that's a uh, that's a that's a benchmark where you're talking to databases, uh, you're talking to web services, and you you can see all the frameworks you know compressed and they're they're we're all much closer to each other in in that benchmark. Right. But, we want to continue to go invest in this space. In fact, I was just going to say the the teams are hard at work on adding language features to C Sharp um, and new buffering models um, that we can use inside of uh, .NET, uh, some BCL stuff, uh, to make, you know, not allocating memory even easier for us. Because most of the ways the perf came from was, was us reducing allocations. Um, and that we think there's still another wave of allocations that we can still go, go remove again which will take that performance up. And then, Great. you know, another cool thing about the performance thing is, is you, you look at that, you know, you look at like a plain text benchmark and you go, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. But uh, my application does a lot more than that. Um, I don't know if I shared the last time we were, we were talking, but um, part of the team also builds the Orchard CMS. It's kind of an open source side project that we, that we have. Yep. Um, and they ported that to .NET Core. And the, the port of, of that app to .NET Core was 10 times faster than the, the one that was system web-based. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. But that means that these benchmarks are lifting up into, the, into regular applications. So you're, you, right. you should find that your application all up, even if you're not doing bare metal, you know, plain text output, hmm. um, this all- allocation, you know, work that we've done all throughout the framework and, and let, letting you light up and just use the parts that you want affects everything. And wow. so that's what excites me the most is seeing, hey, take any of your applications, move them to ASP.NET Core, and they will just be faster. Awesome. Yeah. It's a heck of a thing to say. That is so great, Scott. Congratulations again. And one more one more round of applause here. <laughs> Golf clapping for Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So what's next for you? I mean, you're always working on something, but uh, now that Connect is over and you've, you've announced all this great stuff, Where's the area of focus going to be? Um, we have a bunch of really cool stuff that uh, is coming down the pipe. I'm not ready to talk too much about all of it right now, but I, 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 I can give you some, some brief areas. Obviously, okay. the CS Proj tooling is something we're still working on. Yes. Um, we're still working on .NET Standard 2. So those are two big rocks that are coming down the pipe. Um, you're going to see more, you know, we talked about the container stuff today. Um how do you how how do we make ASP.NET the best platform for building container app uh, container slash microservice applications? Yeah. So we're we're looking at how do you add things like heartbeats so the, the container service actually knows that your application is alive and healthy. Um, how do you you know do you actually need a full framework like like MVC or Web API to build lightweight uh, REST APIs? 
is there something lighter in the system that we might build to, to let you to let you do that? If you're a container and you, and you want to talk or a microservice container slash container, and you want to go talk to other containers. How do you do discovery? Um, how does all that stuff work? And so those are those are all areas that we're that we're looking at focusing uh, on on the platform. You know, if you're a, if you're a full .NET developer, uh, WinForm uh, developer, we're investigating how we could do better high DPI support. So as you as you move to a monitor that's a 4K or 1080p monitor, um, how do we make those those older WinForm applications look great? Um, you know, on those monitors. Sure. Um, looking at things like uh, we we we've shown some demos of this. It's a little rough today. Uh, but Centennial is a is a, is a name of a of a kind of a an ongoing effort we have, and that's letting you take your existing WinForm and WPF applications and run them as Windows Store apps. Um, which you might go, why would I want to do that? Um, one of the most common things I always hear about developers when they talk about you know WinForms or WPF or any de- any desktop application is, how do you install your desktop application in your enterprise? How do you get it onto a hundred desktops or a thousand desktops? Yeah. Um, if you can package your application up as a Windows Store application, uh, one of the features of Windows Store is enterprises are allowed to have their own private stores. Um, well, you you push the app up into, the, into into your private store, your private Windows Store, and then you get the you get you get your application to the same kind of flow. You go to the store, you click it, it's installed, and then just like other applications installed to the store, it updates automatically. Awesome. So I think that'll be something that's interesting to folks. Um, IoT is something that we want to go. You know figure out what our IoT story is. How sure. do we get um, uh, .NET Core into devices? Uh, one of the things that we announced at, at Connect, uh, which actually I, I should have said this earlier because it's, it's an awesome announcement, is Samsung has, has, is building their Tizen platform. And this is the platform that, that Samsung uses for their televisions, their wearables, um, and their non-high-end um, Android phones. It's it's the it's their own operating system they're using to build their 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 cheaper phones and all these other devices, and the way that you program on the Tizen platform is with .NET. That's wow. awesome! What a great announcement! So is this expanding basically Xamarin's footprint, iOS, Android, Tizen? Um, in in some yeah, in in some ways it is. Um, the 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 Samsung folks have been working for the last couple of months porting the .NET Core bits to work on ARM thirty two and ARM sixty four. Wow. Um, and then they they actually took the Xamarin Forms and ported Xamarin Forms to run um, on the Tizen stack as well. Um, wow. And so you can basically basically build a Xamarin Forms application on your television or on your on your phone, your your Tizen based phone. Mm-hmm. And to me, it, it's 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 a it's a sim- it's a signal that you know this this is really the Xamarin kind of did it before, but we now own Xamarin. Uh, but it, it more shows that uh, .NET is more than just Microsoft. Absolutely. Yeah, great. And so Tizen, just so that people who aren't familiar with it, they there are phones that work with the Tizen OS, but the bigger story is all the devices, right? right. Yeah. And so Watches, .NET becomes TVs. the programming model for Samsung devices, is, is how I like to say this, which is, yeah. you know, pretty awesome. Spectacular. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And uh, what's the API for exploding a Samsung device? Because that would be a... <laughs> Clearly, somebody's calling that entirely too often. (laughs) That should be deprecated, is what I'm saying. (laughs) All right, no comment. Fine, that's good enough. Scott Hunter, it's been great talking to you. It's always great to talk to you. And let's hope this uh, becomes an even bigger show for 2016 than your previous one does. 
Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks. Always, always great to talk to you guys. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter